You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Welcome back to the Stateside Podcast. As usual, my name is James Macmillan. Today we have a very special guest, um, a, a new friend of mine and a peer that I've met along the way. Please welcome Dave Rath to the show. Uh, hello, James. Happy to be here. Uh, nothing else I'd rather do than talk about music and myself. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. Yeah, well, that is my experience, Dave, that most people enjoy talking about themselves, myself included. And uh, that's probably why we got into the industry that we got into. Yeah, I suppose so. I have to say I'm a little, I don't say new at this, but I don't really, I haven't really done a lot of uh, media as it relates to the label that I worked for prior to this, um, probably because the philosophy at Roadrunner was always sort of put the bands first. It's really not about the executives. You know, kids don't want to pick up a magazine and hear about some guy who's just you know his thoughts about the music business they just want to hear about the songs i want to hear but the artist has to say so we never really did that so um in this case though we'll talk i guess we'll get to it uh but i i have a new label and I, I thought it would be a good idea for me to uh at least let the world know what we're doing here and why and what where we come from and where we think we're going to be going absolutely you were formerly at Roadrunner Records for 20 plus years. You've worked with many bands, Slipknot, Turnstile, Code Orange, etc. Some of the most uh, prominent rock bands, certainly in my generation, some of the most influential bands of my time. Before we get to the current thing that you're working on and the current label, what was that like, The 20, the, those 20 plus years? What were some of the lessons learned along the way? And how, how does that kind of compare to today? Well, interestingly enough, I had just a small label myself before I started at Roadrunner. And it was really just a couple local bands and I was getting started. And I thought, wow, what a great opportunity to go work at Roadrunner and learn everything that they do there. And I'll, you know, I told myself, I'll do that for a couple of years and then I will come back to my own label and and take everything that I've learned and and bring that to uh to what I was doing at the time. But when I got to Roadrunner, Immediately, Slipknot was just exploding. Uh, they were on Ozfest, and every single day that they played on that tour, the momentum was just building and building and building. And they were about to go in the studio and make their second album, Iowa. Uh, so I was immediately thrown into that. Uh, shortly after that, Nickelback uh, delivered a song called "How You Remind Me," and that band was obviously <laughs> turned into the Nickelback that we all know today. And that's just part of it. I mean, Fear Factor was making records. Sepultura was making records. There was We had Chimera. We had Killswitch Engage was just coming into their own. Like, it was just one thing after the other. And I thought, man, I'm not leaving this place. Are you kidding me? This is insane. Like, every yeah. single thing that we did. And this is very typical in the music business. Like, you know, momentum breeds momentum. And it just so happened that it just seemed like we we couldn't miss. You know, we, we, we'd signed Dragon Force at one point, who through the fire and the flame just like ended up being this insane uh guitar hero song so my my three-year plan went out the window and i ended up staying at roadrunner for 21 years and then you know like it, as it happens there are things that happen in a label it's, it's no secret what happened at roadrunner the owner of the company uh sold they actually sold it a couple times but eventually he sold the whole thing to um to the warner music group and so when that happened there were a, lot, a significant amount of layoffs around the world. The company was was really absorbed into the Warner system. And so I was kept on with, with a few other people. And I, I was like, well, now I can't leave now. I mean, you know, the bands, I, they need me, you know, and I, and I have to say that yeah. that's, 
it's not that I'm so special or anything like that, but I just felt like I was kind of holding the flag for the label. And I, I if I left, I, I thought, Jesus, what, what's going to happen to these bands? And so I stayed and I was happy to stay. And when I got to Atlantic, I had a lot of support from a, a, a fellow named Craig Kalman and another guy named Pete Gambard, who uh, who to this day are, are good, great friends of mine and really understood what we were doing. And, and you know, Kalman was like, hey, man, Roadrunner is awesome. Let's keep it going. And, and then, of course, I signed Code Orange. I signed Turnstile. I signed Angel Dust. We've really brought Gojira from being a core death metal band to to really being the global phenomenon that, that, that they are now. We signed, we re-signed Korn. You know, just a lot of great things happened. Um, so my time at Roadrunner was something I thought was going to be, uh, you know, maybe a brief learning experience and a turn to my basically my entire life, really. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> that's that's pretty common for a lot of people. Well, I'm lucky. And it goes back to what I was saying earlier is one of the reasons why I haven't really done a lot of these things, these podcasts and media events of of any sort, was really because the bands were so forward-facing and they really defined what the label was that there's no need for me to talk you know there's plenty of artists who could go out there and, and talk through their music or talk themselves and it just it just felt like let's let's keep the train on the track and let's create the opportunities for the bands let's try to find new stuff new ways to move the genre forward to try to uh make sure that people are still paying attention to hard rock and metal and hardcore yeah. So um, the only way to do that is to, my opinion, to make the best, help the bands make the best music that they can make. And that's what we did and still do. Yeah, it's amazing. And I and I see your point of not having a lot of need in the past to, to do podcasts and more or less talk about your role in this thing. You know, I, that's something I, I try to do on this show that our audience base um, has gotten used to this show being sort of and a, a chance to see the inside inside baseball, how the sausage is made, kind of, you know, pull that curtain back a bit. Cause there's a lot of people in that part of their life where maybe they just started as a booking agent, a manager, maybe they just started doing AR, or they're they just launched their own band, or they're a producer. And, you know, they're at that point where they would love to to hear from people like you that have success in the music industry. And there's a lot of different roles that we can take in this actual industry, whether you're an artist slash performer or you're on our side of the thing, I guess you could call us the suits uh, yeah. you know, in okay, the business, yeah. even yeah. though I, I never wear a suit. I did at the Grammys, uh, but that's like the only time. Yeah. So yeah, I, I think I think more and more people today want to hear from people like you and they find a lot of benefit in hearing the journey. Well, certainly the A&R side of the business is so volatile uh, because, and uh, I'm sure we'll talk about it at some point, maybe during the podcast, but when I was a kid, I, I was in a in a hair band that was signed to Columbia Records. So I, I knew what it was like to be signed. And what I saw firsthand was when the music goes, the A&R guys go, right? You know, so it's like when that hair metal came to an end, the, the careers of all those hair metal A&R guys, you know, they moved on to something else for the most part, not everybody, but a lot of guys did, you know, same thing would happen with grunge and just like any other fad, right? I'm sure the disco A&R guys, uh, you know, were, were replaced by the, uh, you know, the skinny tie new wave A&R guys. Right. So I always figured, man, A&R, it's, you gotta accept that it's going to be a brief, you're gonna have a brief career. And for me to be doing it as long as I did, it was awesome. And part of that was, I learned from Monty Connor, who is my mentor, who really was the guy who put my roadrunner records on the map signing. He signed Slipknot. He signed typo negative. He signed machine head and fear factory and stuff. And what I learned from Monty was like, stick close to the music, you know, like stay close to the music, stay true to the music. And one thing's for sure is heavy metal. I don't care what anybody says about rock music and metal, you know, it's down. There's nobody listens to rock anymore. That's fucking bullshit. Um, it is. You know, metal right. has, has been around <laughs> since the sixties. And it never goes away. They try to kill it and ignore it, but it's never going away. And I, I thought, and I always feel this way. It's like, I, if I stay close to that, stay close to the fans, stay close to what's happening, then, um, you know, then I'll, I'll continue to, to be a part of it. And that's really what I've, what I did. And I still do. And it, Ab it, absolutely. And, and absolutely. you go to any metal show and you see these, there are kids there now 
it it's it's not you know the, the older generation is obviously still obviously still there it's never going to go away but man it is there's a whole new world happening right now with hardcore with you see what's happening with turnstile yeah. of course yeah. yeah and uh it's just the most exciting time that i've seen in a long a long period long period of time but it really does stem from the the core loyalty of the music and you know i could actually talk for hours about why i think that that is but that's what's helped that's what's helped me uh in my career is is that is staying loyal to the music that to, that got me interested in the first place amen yeah i mean stick to what you know right i mean rock music is my bread and butter it's what i grew up on it's what has gotten me this far it's what i love that's right it's it, it's who we are let me go back to something here you you worked working as anr anr guy what is anr for those listening that don't really know what that means what is the like day-to-day responsibilities of someone doing a and r at a label i can't imagine this has probably never been discussed on your show but i'll start with the basics uh you know a and r stands for artisan repertoire and it's a it's sort of an archaic term although maybe not so much anymore it's probably coming back to this way but early on like in say like the 50s right like if you had Frank Sinatra, you know, Frank Sinatra wasn't really a songwriter. He wasn't a songwriter. So his A&R person was in charge of helping manage the artist's relationship with the record company. So that's the artist side of it and finding talent and finding the artist. But uh, but the repertoire, the R, which stands for repertoire, was the, the A&R guy's job, A&R person's job, was to find songs for this artist to, to sing. Um, you know, really with the Beatles and Buddy Holly and a lot of the, you know, the sixties and the folk mo- movement and, you know, where, where artists and Bob Dylan started to compose their own music prior to that, really a lot of these, a lot of the, the crooners of the early music business before really like the fifties and Chuck Berry and all that stuff, uh, you know, they had to um, sing material that was provided to them. And so, and that still happens, you know, I think like somebody yeah. like Clive Davis, for example, is, is probably one of the best, where he's fine, he matches the artist with songs that are out there written by other writers. So my job is to, uh, if I was to describe it in a nutshell, I would say I listen to bad music so you don't have to. <laughs> in other words, I'm out there looking for stuff, trying to find artists that are pushing the genre forward and it do, making exciting music. And the A&R guy's job is to find that talent and then you know make a, a record deal that's going to allow that artist to thrive and have a real career for his, for his entire life hopefully yeah and then once the artist is signed to the label to help the artist's vision be realized by pairing them with the right producers the right studios the right mixers and you know at times obviously you know the right songs and not everybody writes all their own songs especially probably even more these days there are a lot of artists who don't in the metal world it's spilled over into that world as well um and that just doesn't mean on one album it means like really helping the artist's arc of their career last so we talked a little bit about gojira or i i did earlier you know about where gojira was when they signed to roadrunner and where they are now the core of what makes gojira great is still fully intact but they found a way to take their core essence and create music that can ensnare a wider audience and bring them into the core of gojira world so now when you go to see gojira you're like oh i like the song stranded so i'm going to come to see them because i like that song because that's something i could you know, kind of relate to. And then you go to see Gojira and you're like, holy shit, there's this whole other world of stuff that they do that they've been doing yeah. their whole career. So as an AR person, I think one of the responsibilities is to make it so that the artist can get into as many eardrums as possible in the world. If you believe in that artist, then you should be able to do that. And sometimes that means helping the, the songs and the music get to a place that can reach uh, as many people as possible. And also, by the way, being at Roadrunner, I was fortunate enough to be at a powerhouse record company and be surrounded by so many great people that I say this a lot. It's like my job is to bring the artist to the people, but also to bring the people to the artist. You know, like I'm a believer, not just in what Roadrunner did or not just the bands, but the whole genre in general and try to get make it so that what we do is reaching the culture is getting beyond the actually beyond the culture, excuse me. And, and getting it to, to to people who might not normally have an ear for a band like Code Orange or a band like Slipknot and bringing those people to the band. And how do we do that? You know, you get the music placed 
maybe in a video game or in a film or in a commercial or, you know, on a, on a, a different playlist, or maybe the band writes a song that's not quite exactly what they do, but can bring the audience closer to the band. And then at the same time, you try to bring the band closer to that audience. And man, if you could do that, you end up in situations like we're, we're in right now where, where everybody says hardcore music is having a moment, but you know, it's about to, that's for sure. You know, go to any hardcore show right now and you, you're going to see the most diverse audience uh, that you've probably seen at a heavy music show in, in a very, very, very long time. Anyway, long answer, but that was a big question. Well, no, it's it, it deserves a long answer because that that's actually one of my favorite. That's one of my favorite answers to that question, because it, it's such a complicated job. You're right. If you look it up. OK, this is the definition of A&R. All right. That might be one or two sentences. But in reality, it should take that long to explain what you do because you're not just, there's just so much involved. There's the scouting of the artist, there's the signing of the artist, and then there's sticking with the artist. Yeah. And that's a that can be a lifetime. I find it interesting too, because a lot of what you discussed, you could argue is the responsibility of a manager, per se. The lines you know, are a little bit. Working with a band... Yeah, and and the lines do blur, and I think that's the point. Is you have to you have to be willing to blur those lines and be, you know, don't be an asshole in this industry because you do have to work with Slipknot's manager. You're gonna have to work with the booking agents. You're gonna have to work with the producers and the producer manager. You know what I do, and I think if you can if you can do that, then you really will be serving your client, and in this case, an artist to uh to the maximum well i i think you need to understand the artists that you're dealing with and i see this with um with you know some of the newer a and r guys that i've worked with over the years and i and i try to help guide them to understand hey man you don't have to go in like a bull in a china shop here and and make your mark on the band right fine let's let's understand the essence of the band that you're working with so for example let's take a band like like trivium right now right like i worked with trivium for a long time monty signed him um, and I, I ended up being A&R for Trivium on, I don't know, the last four, four or five albums. And, you know, at a certain point, you know, a band, they know what they're doing. Right. And so Trivium doesn't need Dave Rath to walk in the room and say, all right, guys, you know, like change this part, change that part, you know, give me some hits. You know, like that's not what you do with a band that's been around and understands who they are. Now, what I try to do is say, OK, what do we want to do? What kind of record do we want to make? Where are we at? What, what did we do last time? What do we think the audience is? Where emotionally are you guys at? What's going on? What do you want to say? And so, you know, you do a lot of that, but it's not necessarily like going in and like nitpicking every single thing, you know, on a, on a band that's has a, a full career, you know, trust me, like I wasn't walking into the Slipknot studio and saying like, all right, guys, these songs, you know, here's what I think about your songs. You know, they, they don't want to hear from, want to hear from me about right. that, right? At this point. At the same time, you know, they might ask my opinion and if they ask it, you know, I'm going to give it, of course, you know. But then, of course, there are, when you sign a brand new band, sometimes they need and ask for and invite some more detailed guidance where you might say, uh, you know, hey, uh, you know, what what do we want to do? And they, they they might say, well, we don't really, this is what we want to do, but we don't know any of the producers. We don't know any of the mixers. And, and right. you know, you, right. you, you come in and, and try to provide those people for them. Whereas some of the bands who've been around for a little while, they kind of, they get to know a lot of people and they, they're a little more seasoned in, in, in that. So your, your guidance with bands depends on what the band's needs are. And it's not for you to decide it's for the bands to ask. And it's for you to have the instinct to know, Hey, it's, I need to step in here and help these guys, or I need to get, I need to back the fuck off and let this band do what they, what they need to do. My, my interference is just going to be detrimental. So you really should, as an A&R person, ha try to get a sense of what a band or an artist, what, what they need. Yeah, and you're there to show value to your your artist. You're there to be of service to them. I think that that's, that's an interesting thing because you see a lot of egos in this industry from managers, booking agents, A&R, down the line. And at the end of the day, it's okay to be like confident and assertive in what you do. I try to have that with my job, but I think at the end of the day, like my, my job is to, to be of service to my clients. That's the whole game. That is what, that's what I'm here for. It's not about me. It's about them. 
And I think if you can do that, you're going to be you're going to be successful in this thing. Well, the job is to just help. We, we say it all the time here at the new label and at Roadrunner and even prior to that, when I was managing artists and stuff, you know, my, my job is to provide the resources to that artist for that artist to be successful. And resources is a pretty general word, but it, it covers a lot. I think it's a great word because resources could mean what's happening in my brain. It can mean money. It can mean a phone number. It can mean a songwriting partner. It can mean, you know, uh, any number of things, but that's really what I, I see support, whether it's management or A&R or marketing, it's providing the resources for an artist to be the best that they can possibly be. Yeah, that's it. Before we move on to some of the current stuff you're, you're up to now, I have a, a, a general question. So, <laughs> you know, you, you've been doing this a while and you've seen the change of the industry you've seen the change of a role of a label. So I guess my direct question is, what is the role of a record label today in 2023? Is it any different? Has it changed? If so, what? Well, the most significant change is on the retail side. And that goes without saying. I I think your audience listening to a podcast on Spotify doesn't need me to tell them (laughs) or explain to them the difference between what's happening in the retail world, right? So let's just put... I haven't bought a CD in a long time. (laughs) Yeah, let's let's put that aside, right? Everybody, we know you're smart. You know it's up. So, so, but that that is that side of it has 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 altered the, the 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 need for a record company back when you know we were dealing with a lot more physical was really distribution right like distribution was everything and if you didn't have the reach of a distributor a major label distributor you you were you were really handcuffed and that and clearly the the digital distribution world has leveled that playing field and so that means that the record company's role is different and that means that the the record deals are different the record deals now are more partnerships than they used to be. And so now you're you're sort of like joining, locking arms with the artists and saying, all right, we're in this together. And that means, you know, everybody's taking the financial risk. The artists are taking the financial risk. And back when we were back the way that it was early on in the business, the labels were taking a significant financial risk, but but the payoff was was more significant. Now it's it's a little bit more leveled and even. And that's great. I actually prefer that better because, you know, when you're speaking with an artist, you want to say, hey, should we be spending the money on this? It's your money, too. It, it always was their money. But the record company, most, you know, a lot of bands don't succeed. So the label is taking such a financial risk because they're going to they're going to fail more than they succeed. Whereas, right. whereas when you're in it, locking arms with the artist financially, you're really saying, okay, let's let's really think this through together and let's see, is this what you really want to do? So so that's different. So the deals are a little bit different now. They're a little bit more, they're a little more even. But when you're dealing with sharing the profits with an artist, that means you're sharing all the expenses. So that's different. But the need for a record company, I, and I've been around it a couple of times, and I, I don't want to name too many artists by specifically, because I just don't, I really don't want to get into that. But I've been around some artists who we had an artist who was signed to us at one point years ago, a very well-known big artist who was signed to, to us. And then at some point they said, you know what, we're going to do this ourselves. We're going to go out and start our own label and we're going to, we're going to go do this. And they did. And it, it didn't work out as, as well. And they came back and said, we're, we're down to come back. Let's do this again. We, we love being with the record company. And the, and the reason is because the experience that I have, like I just do this, right? I'm not out there. I'm not on tour. I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not I'm not writing the songs. I'm not worrying about the T-shirts, and I'm not worried about the ticket sales. And I, I I do this, and so I'm a specialist in a way. And it's great to have specialists on your side. And I I have I employ specialists, and I work with specialists around the world. This is what we do. And so it's a luxury, I think, for a band to work with us and have a worldwide network of people who have decades of experience to save the a band from making mistakes and spending money in places that are not really beneficial to them. Record companies are more partners where we're, we provide the service of making sure the music is out there in a organized fashion globally so that 
the artist is having an impact all at one time, right? With a powerful punch all in one shot. Because now more than ever, there's so many distractions, whether it's sports, video games, TikTok, you know, you name it. There's there's so many distractions that you need to get above the clutter. And while a band, and by the way, there are plenty of bands who manage to put out their own music by themselves and and make a great living and do and do great. And that's fine. And sure. I support that. Um, and I'm fans of a lot of those bands. Um, but I think for a band to get over the clutter and 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 make the noise to be on a, a global uh, success, having a team around you that can support you in that way is probably more necessary now than it than it used to be. I think distribution aside. So um, yeah, I mean, record companies' roles are different, but uh, I do think that they are uh, they're necessary when the fit is right. The fit is right. Yeah, right. I think that's <clears throat> I think that's the key point. I mean. You know, I hear a lot of people say things like record labels need to figure it out. They got to they got to figure this out. You know, they're they're at some point they're not going to have a role. And I I just I totally disagree with that. And I think what you said is probably more accurate in the end. There will always be a role. It's just a matter of is it a good fit for the artist now? That's it. And I think that you can apply that to everything. You don't need anything anymore. You don't need a booking agent technically. You don't technically need a manager. You don't need uh, a producer and a mixer. You could do all of those things I just said yourself. You don't even need a distributor. You can do all the shit yourself. Distro kids out there, right? You technically. Right, but you're going to you spend all day doing that's that. It. That's about it. Great songs, right? That, that's By it. The, way, the other thing is like, somebody's got to put the music out. You know, it's like, so you can. It, it, you may you could say a record company might not be as uh as necessary as it used to be but it's still called it may not be called a record company but the service still has to happen and so okay so the band does it themselves now they're the record company they are functioning as a record company it's the same exact thing same thing someone's got to do it yeah so i mean okay the band doesn't need a booking agent no so they're okay so then they are the booking agent so then they are. That's right. The shows like so. I don't really understand that logic as much. You know? and, and they're going to do a lot shittier of a job too. They're going to do a lot shittier of a job. You know, uh, my partners, Dave Shapiro, Matt Anderson, Tim Bohr, they, they're professional booking agents. I, I can promise you, they're they're a little more experienced in this. They they have more network. They're tapped into it in a in more efficient way. They also have a full time agency that does just that. So, yeah, you don't need any of those things, but. Like you said, someone's going to be doing it, whether you hire someone to to do it or not. And you know, uh, when I was playing in a band back in my twenties, i i wanted I wanted to do that. I wanted to write music, record music, and play shows. That's it. And I think you are a better band if you focus on your craft. Yeah, that's true. That's just it. I also believe, and I, like I said earlier, I was signed to Columbia Records when I was younger. And I've seen the difference between being at an indie label and a major. And yeah, there are a lot of things that can go wrong when you're in a big company because it's that big, giant grinding wheel. And record companies have done, I think, did a bad job for a long time when CDs were plentiful and they were making money hand over fist. And they did really did a bad job of nurturing the relationship between the artist and the label. And so, yeah, they took a hit for it, and it's well-deserved. I think so. So, you know, lesson learned. Pay attention to what you're doing and work your fucking ass off because the artists are working seven days a week. They don't care about Monday through Friday. They don't work nine to five. So you got to be there running with them at full speed all the time. That's the life you choose. If you don't want to do this, go go work somewhere else. You know, go be an accountant. Although the accountants right now are working around the clock with the artists too. But but you know what I mean? It's like... uh, yeah, no, you're this right. Is, this is a we're we're in a we're the entertainment business. We're not making things that you know at a certain time of day are, don't need to be made anymore. Art, there is no timetable for it. It happens at three in the morning. It happens at not ten o'clock in the morning. It happens at noon. So you have to be ready for it, and you have to be ready to run with the artist every single day. It's so funny. I was just thinking, um, one of my clients, Steve Evitts who's a music producer, he he called me the other day. You know, it's like, 
8 p.m. my time. But then, you know, my wife, I had to stop the movie, right? And I'm like, I got to take this call. Yeah. She kind of gives me the eye roll. And I'm like, honey, it's 11 o'clock his time. He's been in a studio for over 10 hours today. I got to take this call. <laughs> like, yeah. Give me a sec. Yeah. I, I got to take this call. If if you think I'm, I think I've had a long day. He's had a long day too. And that's just the game we're in. So you're, you're right. Everybody works hard. Everybody works, you know, we're in that world now due to the way the world is. Everybody works around the clock. Everybody does, yeah. right? But when I, in the music business, there's something about the pace of it that's a little bit, a, a little bit different um, when it comes to that kind of attention. I just feel that these, these, these people are, they're risking their entire futures, right? Um, you know, these, the, the artists who decide that this is what they want to do, you know, they're giving up the chance maybe to go to school. Sometimes they do go to school, you know, but they're, they're giving up, you know, they're giving up weddings, funerals, birthdays, yeah. you know, whatever it is, it's uncompromising. So they're out there and they're giving all this up and they could do all that and give up their, you know, their twenties entirely and end up at 30, 35, 40 years old with nothing. And that's a risk that they're taking. And people who work at record companies aren't necessarily taking that risk. And people who work alongside the bands need to respect that and understand what these artists are potentially giving up and realize that they're desperate for success. And it doesn't necessarily mean financial success. It just means they're doing this and they want to be rewarded. Whatever that reward is, emotional, financial, you know, any number of things, you, you got to respect that. And you, and you have to run with them like i said earlier uh with them to try to help them achieve that because man um you know i've seen a, a lot where if it doesn't work out some of these some of these artists are uh, you know they're left like holy crap what did i just do um but that's that's how it that's what it is and um i find that that's what i try to bring to the table is the respect for knowing what the sacrifices are because there is no turning back at a certain point that's that's such a good point. It it's good to keep context in this thing. You know, some of these bands are on the road eight months out of the year or more sometimes. And my God, I'm not. Right. <laughs> you and I get to do this from our office and from our homes, and you know, it's it's a great life. Um, so that's good to remember. Well, let's let's move on. I would love to talk to you about your current venture, Blue Grape Music. When did that start? It looks like you you kind of got off the ground pretty recently. Last time you and I spoke. I think it was just sort of getting going. Um, now that you've officially launched, let's talk about that. H how's that going? How did it all get started? Well, it's only been a, a few days, uh, but it's uh, what what happened was once I realized uh, at Roadrunner that uh, what I was doing wasn't really going to fit into what the main apparatus of that company wanted. Uh, I realized, okay, this is time for me to go. I think you know I don't want to get into the details of it too much. But I did feel a little bit like I couldn't be 100% truthful to the artists about what was going on. And when you start getting into that situation, that's the danger zone, right? You don't ever want to be in a situation where, you know, you can't tell an artist exactly what's happening above me, what was happening above me. And, and I just thought, uh-oh, this, right. this is not going to work. And I've, I had voiced some concerns about that. And let's just say that it was it was time for me to, to move on. And, you know, yeah. in truth, like I had put a, I put a lot of years in and I felt because when you're at a label that size, when it was smaller, I had done a lot of different things. there. I was a video commissioner for a while. I worked in royalties. I was in the administrative side. I ran the creative department for a while. Like I did a lot of different things. So and, you know, I was in all the planning meetings. And then when I got to the major label, I saw how that ran and, and I thought, you know what, rather than just go be an A&R person at another company, which I could have done, I, I felt this is my time to try to bring all these, all the life experience that I've had to a label and, and try to provide and try to be the kind of label that I always hoped that I would see and I would want to be signed to. And so I reached out to Case Wessels, uh, who was the original owner of Roadrunner, who after he sold the, the label, primarily spent most of his time over in Holland, where where he he always lived, and he started a book publishing business over there. 
he had a few other businesses that were enormously, enormously successful. And, you know, he was always somebody that, you know, everything good in my life has really kind of come from case, to be honest with you. And, and um, I, I just thought, you know what, let me see what he's doing. He, he's, like I said earlier, he's never in the spotlight. I mean, it's very hard to find information on him. He's probably would cringe to know that I was even talking about him right now. Uh, but I reached out to him and said, <laughs> hey, Case, you know, this is the situation I'm in right now. Would you be interested in, in getting back in uh, on the music side of things again? And and lo and behold, he was like, he absolutely he was like, absolutely. Yes, I would love to do it. I I, I really value what Roadrunner was and um, I would love to to get back into it and and see what we could do to, uh, you know, this in the modern era. He's just, you know, he's one of those guys who he's never going to sit still. He's an has an entrepreneurial spirit spirit. And one thing I will say, I tell him this all the time and I'll tell anybody guys got great ears, man. Good music and people who understand and know yeah. good music like they, they know. And this is a this is an individual who's, you know, he's 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 older than me. I'm not going to say much more than that, but he's older than me. And when I played him Code Orange, I said, what do you think of this band? Let me tell you, man. He was like, this is great shit. This sounds like the future to me. Let me tell you, if I played that music for, you know, my father or something, he would be like, how is this you know <laughs> my dad too the point is that you know he's he's got great he's got great ears because what he's interested in as much as i am is he's interested in artists who are upsetting the status quo pushing the boundaries and making a difference that's what he wants to do and that's what i want to do and that's what we intend to do with blue grape yeah and so yeah we signed code orange here that was the first band we signed we launched last week and there we have a few other things coming that I, I can't really discuss just yet. Uh, it's too soon for that. But I can assure you it will be uh, those bands who are taking the genre, taking what exists today and and pushing the boundaries and moving it beyond where, where, where we are right now. Do you see yourself staying as a more rock, hardcore based label? I never want to say yes or no to anything like that. You know, great artists are great artists. And when you hear stuff that may not be exactly in your lane, but you know, it's great, you know, and you feel like you can yeah. help that artist be successful, then, then I would want, I would want to do that. The name Blue Grape comes from the original merch company that Case started, man, I think it was like back, if not the seventies, maybe back in the sixties, it's been around for a long, it was before Roadrunner. And so, yeah, a lot of people don't know that. So um, he had actually sold the merch company right around the time he was, he was selling Roadrunner. And he sold it to another merch company who, who I guess bought the contracts and never, never really renewed the name Blue Grape and never renewed the trademark. And I always noticed over the years that these shirts, these original Blue Grape shirts, whether it was Machine Head or, or Fear Factory or Slipknot or like even the Strokes Blue Grape put out, I mean, typo negative. So I noticed on, online that a lot of these shirts were selling for hundreds and hundreds of dollars if you could find the original Blue Grape shirt. And some of the bands, Code Orange, for example, Turnstile, these guys are aware of what Blue Grape is and they wear and they would wear the shirts. Ricky, who who I worked with for many years, who has flat spot records, Ricky, Ricky Singh, great dude. You should have him on the show. He's awesome. You know, he really totally knows the Blue Grape stuff as well. And and so when we thinking about a name for the label, I wanted it to a name that meant something in the community, and Blue Grape certainly does, but I also didn't want it to sound like this, this like scary heavy metal name that in case something came along that wasn't, you know, fit that description that they wouldn't be, they wouldn't be like, oh, what the, you know, I don't want to be on, you know, death core metal, you know, death nail records, whatever it is, you know? Um, I mean, look, I, I did sign young, the giant uh, to roadrunner and with Stefan max, who was a, a young A&R kid that worked for me. And, and believe me, young, the giant wasn't like, Oh, Oh yeah. We can't wait to sign to roadrunner. I mean, you know, we had Nickelback at the time. So lesson learned. And also, by the way, the out the industry would also see the Roadrunner logo on something and and say, you know, wow, that's we know what that is. So I didn't I didn't really want to do that for Blue Grape. I wanted to have a name that would that would s sort of be benign in in, in ways um, and wouldn't scare people off, but at the same time meant something to people who know what it means. Oh, that that's brilliant. There's there's a lineage there that, like you said, the diehards will know. You know, it's funny. I've been I am so obsessed with an HBO HBO mini series called The Defiant Ones. Mm. Have you watched this before? I haven't. I don't really watch a lot of uh, a lot of TV like that. But, it's uh, I highly recommend it since you're a, a a music guy. 
it's a four-part miniseries on the two uh, stories and trajectories of Dr. Dre and Jimmy and Jimmy Iovine. Oh, yes, of course. Yes, right. yes, yes. Forgive me. I didn't know. Yeah, okay. I know exactly. I haven't oh, seen it, but I know exactly okay. what you're talking Dude, about. Dude, you, you yeah. got to watch It's It is some of the the best, you know, behind the scenes stuff of like how Jimmy Iovine started Interscope, then how that transformed into this relationship with Dr. Dre. And then they obviously yeah. started Beats by Dre, got bought out by Apple. Like, it, I mean, the Jimmy Iovine is like my, my fucking hero. I, I that that's yeah. my guy. I've never met him. I probably never will. But that is that's uh, massively inspiring to you, which leads me to my next question. Who and actually let me back up before I ask you that question. The 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 kind of aesthetic you have for Blue Grape and making it not just a metal label, you know, obvious metal punk label. I think that reminds me of Interscope. And that's that's kind of why I brought that up is that I think that's really smart. You know, at one time Interscope had uh no doubt, but they also had Marilyn Manson and Nine Inch Nails and Snoop Dogg and Dr. Dre. You know, and like that is just a wildly exciting thing. And I, I just I'm I can't wait for a label to do that again. To just find good fucking music, whether it's it's heavy metal, scary goth shit, or it's it's like SoCal poppy, you know, stuff that your mom would listen to. Yeah. You know, what I would like to do is, you know, people talk about the rock and roll attitude, yeah, yeah. right? And and that's just become a cliche. But I I believe in it. Um, and I want to sign music that has a rock and roll attitude. It doesn't necessarily mean it has to be rock and yeah, roll. Yeah, I got you. You know, it needs to be something that's disruptive. Yes. And the Defiant Ones is a is a great title for that show for that reason. Um, again, I I like you know I think the word disruptor is probably overused these days, but um, but I I like to to sign music here that is um, making people think differently about what where what they're what they're listening to, and take production to new places, right? Not just not just the way the band looks, but you know, the production, the songwriting styles, um, you know, that's what, I'm, that's what I'm interested in doing. And believe me, I get a lot of stuff people send me. That's, you know, it's just kind of straight up the middle. And um, I, you know, I've been around a lot of music that is straight up the middle and, and it's, when it's, when it's done right, can be enormously successful. Like Nickelback, I mentioned earlier, but to me, what's exciting to me is working with artists whether it's a single artist or a band who are unsatisfied with what's going on around them and want to make music that reflects their feelings about that. To me, that's the most exciting thing, man. Like, it's just, uh, it's, you know, hey, man. I, I couldn't be more proud of what's happening with, with Turnstile right now. Um, what, what a great story that is. When Code Orange got nominated for the, for the Grammy, the first, on the first album that we did, I, I just couldn't, I can't even tell you how, how much that meant to me. Gojira, same thing. I've been, you know, I've been around a, a, a lot of that. Um, and, you know, Slipknot winning the Grammy. I, I, anytime something like that happens, not that the Grammys are like, okay, this is the most, this is the goal. It's not about that as much as it is seeing a band succeed, but still doing it the way that they want to do it. You know, like that's the best thing of all is succeeding on your own terms. Yes. Um, yes when you have that that's right man, that's the holy grail that's right that's it yeah and so anyway okay so jimmy Iovine, he happens to be one of my my heroes in this thing that we do who are your heroes in music do you i mean you've 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 mentioned a few along the way do you have any direct mentors or or people that maybe you've never met that you look up well, to? i mentioned I mentioned Craig Kalman earlier at, at Atlantic. I love, I love Craig um, because he is the most knowledgeable music person I've ever met in my life. Uh, he also has Craig Kalman, K-A-L-L-M-A-N. Kalman? Yeah, at, at Atlantic. Okay, um, that's right. He has the largest vinyl collection, privately owned vinyl collection in the world. If it's not the largest, it might be the second largest. I think he told me it was the largest. He got mad at me when I thought it wasn't wow but um so this is a this is an individual who knows a lot about <laughs> music. 
he signed some of the greatest artists of all time. And his attitude to me is the guy doesn't give a fuck, man. He's got no political, not a political bone in his body to be in the position position that he's in. And he is just the guy's ears are just the greatest that you could ever imagine. And man, he 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 just he uh and he's very generous with his thoughts about things. Um when I was working on the glow on for turnstile, I actually went to Craig. This is a guy who's running Atlantic Records. And I and I, I just had a producer conversation with him about I was in the middle of trying to decide what to do. And I was working with Cody Rodicius, who's also A and R with me on Turnstile. And we were like, what, what should we do? And I was like, let me ask Craig, you know, and and Craig just boiled it down to me. You know, it's like, what do you, you know, what do you need? What does this band need? Give it to him. You know, this is, you know, and this is the guy that I think could do it. You're right. You know, go with the guy that you chose. And and just having that validation was um was really good. So Craig Kalman, number one. I mentioned Monty earlier. The reason why I love Monty Connor so much is because he's again very, very generous with his knowledge. You know, Monty would be like, What do you think of this mix? And I would be like, dude, I, who am I, man? I just started working here. I haven't done shit, you know? And he'd be like, well, just put these headphones on and tell me what you think. Because Monty, he he just wants to hear from other people because I'm the person who's going to be listening to this stuff, right? It's made for me. So what do I think of it, right? And so, yeah. um, so Monty was always super generous. And I would be like, well, how did you do that? Who did it? And he would tell me how he did it. Um, you know, whereas a lot of people can be very, you know, they don't want to, I find a lot of executives I work with also the opposite. They withhold information, right? See that information is their power. Right. And when you, when you're around somebody who's not telling you what's going on, you know, I have guys be like, well, Dave, you know, we're, you don't know what's going on. You're spending too much money here. And I would be like, well, how the fuck do I know if you're not telling me like stop withholding info and Roadrunner was, was early like that. I I want Blue Grape to be like that as well. I try to be an open book for anybody that's working with me. Um, and I tried to do that with all the A&R people that I've worked and tried to mentor over the years. So the, the artists, so people like Monty, to me, he was so generous with his with his knowledge because he was secure in it. He Monty knows he's the shit. So he's fine to to say, hey, well, you yeah. know, I'll tell you what I'm doing because I'm great at it. You know? I'm still Monty in the, at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah. I, try to, I try to emulate that as much as I possibly can. But also, finally, as far as mentors... The biggest inspiration for me is always the younger guys that I work with. Honestly, like I learn more from them, th- honestly, than I than I did from from the from the uh, more experienced people because these guys come in, these young kids come in, and they're fearless, right? They've never failed, so they don't they don't know what failure means. So they don't give a shit. They are going to try everything and anything instead of being like, oh shit, I got to worry about my job or my paycheck. Or they, they don't care. They're like, fuck this. This is the way I'm doing it. And so when you're around okay. people like that, and I try to surround myself I'm with as live much forever. as I possibly can. And, um, you know, guys that I worked with over the years, whether it was Stefan Max, who's at Columbia now, or Ian Cripps and Cody, who I mentioned earlier, who had Atlantic, uh, Mike Ligori, who worked with me at Roadrunner. He was an A&R admin guy who was like my, A&R, my right arm for so many years. You know, these people just tell you like what's really going on. Fred, who's at Twitch now, Ricky, who I mentioned earlier at, at his own label. He's, he's at Loma Vista as well. Andy Soreo, who's president of Fearless. These guys all work with me. At, yeah, I'm, I'm buddies with Andy. Yeah, these guys all work with me at Roadrunner. And every single day that, I, and by the way, managers too. The guys, I remember the guys who managed Young the Giant, Ben uh, and Drew, you know, they walked into Roadrunner and they were like, here's how we're going to do this. It's not how you guys ever did it, but this is how we want to do this. And you and you learn from these people. And, and that's to me was the most exciting thing. And having that fearless attitude of not being afraid to fail and not being afraid of getting in trouble is is really what it's really all about. So my mentors are this experienced folks like Monty and, and Craig Kalman, but also the younger guys who are, who are around me for, for years who have gone on to be really successful. But these guys, uh, and I have a couple of scouts who are with me right now at Blue, at Blue Grape who I feel the same way about. I'm like, these guys, I sense it, man. They're just like, they just don't care, man, because- they don't know that they should. <laughs> it's the That's one of my favorite answers to that question because you're well, there's there's three things. You're honoring you're honoring the past, you're honoring the mentors, the people that have been doing this for a while. I think that's important. But you're also acknowledging those people there's a common thread here that you respect and I really respect is that the people that aren't being withholding yeah. of their skill set and their knowledge base 
you know, there's an old expression. There's there's two ways to build a bit the build this uh, the tallest building in town. Either you knock down all the uh, the buildings around you, or you just simply build the tallest building. Right. It's not that complicated, and I, I just love that. Um, and then thirdly, I I really love that you you paid homage to the younger people. It you're not walking around going, I'm the guy from 20 years plus at Roadrunner. You should be looking up to me only. You are acknowledging that young people come in here swinging and there's something there's something beautiful about that and something to be learned from their their inexperience right because they have an experience they're not afraid to try and and fall and fall right on their fucking face well dude i'm talking to you right now because of david rossiker right <laughs> he went to elementary school yeah. with my daughter i've known that guy oh. since he was probably two years old and uh you know he's a young guy and he says hey this is a cool yeah. podcast for you to do and i'm like all right that's right. I mean, I, I'm 39, so to me... Oh, I must be a fossil uh, to him compared to you. Yeah. Yeah, to Roska, I'm an old guy, but to to others, I'm the younger one. And to me, Roska's the young guy, right? And it's all fucking relative. And and David Roska is the, the yeah. example of the young and hungry talented he he just impresses me every day yeah, impressed me too i don't listen to every young guy believe me there's a lot no no <laughs> yeah every other time you know, every other day i tell him to go take a hike and your idea is terrible yeah yeah there are there are a lot of young people that i wouldn't listen to but there are there are a lot. the one other thing i would say is like also you know this business used to be populated it was very male dominated oh, so much and this it's not that way anymore and so um you know, you get this perspective from young women and now women who are really running running the business in many ways that we didn't have before. And so getting their perspective on things to me is really it's like a whole nother world. It's it's a whole nother world of opportunity because, you know, it was just just so dominated by one type of, you know, yeah. person uh, for so long that the diversity in the business right now is so healthy for the music and so healthy for different ideas. And it also allows, I think, us to look at different cultures around the world and and borrow from and also, you know, try to be a part of, right? You know, the emerging markets, thank God uh, for, for what's happening technology-wise for us to be able to be a part of what's happening in all different corners of the of the planet. You know, music can change the world. I personally believe that, you know, MTV brought down the Iron Curtain because, you know, back in the 80s, we're sitting here at some house party in uh, Fort Lauderdale, hosing each other down, chugging beers and jumping into a swimming pool and with not a care in the world, like the young idiots that we were. And there were people in the Soviet Union freezing their asses off uh, standing in line waiting to buy paper towels, right? And so somehow they were starting to see what was going on in the Western world. And they were like, wait, we want to do that, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, so, hell yeah. And that was on MTV. So so I do think music really made it so that, you know, the, the, for better or for worse, and certainly a lot of worse, that's for sure, um, but it can change the world. So I think great music, um, Matt, really can change change the world. Uh, one, one other thing I would like to say about that is, I say this a lot that like heavy metal is really like the only global music or it was right. It's starting to change, but it really was like the only global music. So for example, a band like, you know, Metallica or Slipknot or Megadeth, right. These metal bands, Korn, like they're, they're, they're popular everywhere. Right. If you like heavy metal and you live in, you know, Mongolia, you're, you're like, I like Metallica. Yeah. I like, Slipknot, yeah. I like Megadeth. Right. But, um, rap or country or uh, pop music there are different there are localized pop stars or rap stars in, in certain parts of the world yeah and yeah there's obviously localized metal bands and i'm not diminishing that whatsoever i don't mean to do that at all but what i'm saying is like metal is really kind of like the same everywhere and there isn't any other genre that's like that and with this record company here i i respect that and want to um and want to try to help bands be globally successful. So we set up a global team as opposed to just like a local US team, right? So that's really that's really important to me. What I'm noticing now also though, is that you're getting great music from other countries where it never really happened before. Yeah. And I'm talking about like Africa, yeah. Hell right? yeah. 
um, you know, South America was always kind of great, obviously with Sepultura um, and so many great bands that have come out of uh, that part of the world. But now more than ever, um, you know, Gojira, I mentioned Gojira a lot, you know, coming out of France, what's happening in France right now. It's, it's, it's such an exciting time uh, for different world cultures to influence what's happening in heavy music today. Amen. And I'm really can't, can't wait to see what tomorrow brings because it's really happening every day. Well, I was going to ask you, I mean, you, I guess you kind of answered that, but it, you know, generally, what is the state of the union to you? What's, what's your general sense on the music industry today? Do you feel hopeful for it? Do you think we're heading in a good place generally? Well, of course, I'm going to say yes, because I'm in it. So, uh, yes, of course, it's it's great. It's awesome, right? Um, yeah, I mean, I'm starting a label right now. Yeah. And I great. think now is, I feel good about doing it because I think that we we can provide a service that's needed to artists. Whereas, I don't know if I would have felt that good about it maybe 10 years ago. Okay. Um, because I just think there was a lot of uncertainty. And now that we... You know, it's always technology is changing every second, but we have a pretty good sense of where things are going to be for the for the near future. I right? think so, too. Um, where, you know, people are talking about AI and how, how the metaverse and how things are changing. And that's of course, it's always going to be there, always going to be there. Um, but I like where things are for heavy music right now. I, I think heavy music to me is is a, is about to once again. Uh, be the dominant force of music. And when I say heavy music, I don't just mean heavy metal. I mean, it's influencing pop. It's influencing rap. It's influencing culture, yes. fashion. There's so much that heavy music is is influencing in the world today that um, I want to be there for it. You know, I'm like, hey, man, I've toiled in this genre for my whole life. I want to be there when it's, you know, being played at the White House, yeah. you know, or maybe, maybe how about Metallica plays halftime at the Super Bowl this time, right? Like it's time for that. Shit. Yeah. And I want to be there for yeah. it. Um, and so, and I want to help move it forward. So do I, am I excited? Yeah, damn right. I am. Um, you know, I, and I'm seeing the hardcore world really just, uh, just absolutely blossom and change before, before our eyes. And when I say the hardcore world, there's so many great metal bands that were in the hardcore world, Code Orange being one of them, Power Trip being another one. Um, it's not just, you know, your father's hardcore, right? So that's that's really exciting. And and metal, man, there's a lot of great metal bands that I'm hearing out there right now that who I will not mention because I want to maybe not add, make things more competitive for me than they already are. But <laughs> I'm hearing a lot of great metal, real just great it's just killer metal that's taking new production techniques and songwriting techniques that didn't exist before and bringing that into the metal world. So, I agree. Yeah, I'm, I'm, damn right, I'm excited. Yeah, it's awesome. As far as the music business goes, it's always fucked up. There's always a bunch of morons in it and stuff. Yeah, know, of course. Myself included at times. <laughs> and, um, you know, but that's always going to be the way that it is. And there's a lot of colorful characters in it that I, that I cherish uh, for better or for worse. But yeah, no, music business right now is is great amazing because yeah it's awesome well one last question for you you're you clearly have an east coast accent you you mentioned you're based in new york city i think your office is in manhattan right yeah i'm on west 36th street right now yeah okay so i'm i'm like the most west coast person you'll meet I, i'm diehard west coast guy but i i have a sort of a romantic appreciation for for new york city good it's it, yeah it's just like the one of the most impressive places i've ever been to in my life it's it's madness i i mean like manhattan it's crazy yeah what is your what's your assessment of new york city these days are you are you missing the old new york or do you like the new york of today how, how do you feel about that yeah i love it um i as you can tell from my accent i'm from long island it's, i can't i'm saddled with this <laughs> this way of speaking i suppose i don't i didn't know i don't really notice it until you you bring it up but uh but i love i love new york for the energy for the culture and i've lived in other places and i'm one of those people and i'm sure everybody feels this about their home so it's not just me saying this about new york but when i wasn't living in new york i was like god i, I miss the yankees you know I, I miss, uh, you know, I, I miss what's happening in New York City. I miss Broadway. I don't love Broadway. I don't go to Broadway shows a lot, but I miss like the excitement of what's happening around like 
the theater district, Times Square, how it was evolving at the time when when New York City was was coming out of the 80s and, and 90s and, and changing into what it was. And and now it's like, I don't know, I just feel like New York leads culture in the world. That's completely, I get it, self-centered. It's, no, it's true. People who hate New York, especially people from Philly who can't stand New York, they're like, you know, fuck New York. But I, I love it because I love the energy around it and I love the attitude and I love the way it is right now. And sure, like there's, you know, we're dealing with some tough times. I mean, COVID, this COVID, you know, the center of COVID was certainly New York. I was here for it. I saw what happened and I saw the fallout and I see the fallout of it happening now and uh, still to this day. So, but I love the energy of it. And I am on a mission to keep the music business thriving in New York. I, I don't know why, I think maybe coming out of the pandemic, we lost a lot of people when I say lost, I mean, a lot of people we lost to L.A. and now Nashville, right? Every time I talk every day, somebody's like, I'm moving to Nashville. It's cheaper to live there. And, you know, you could buy a big house and, uh, you know, it's, it's great. And I'm like, no, it isn't. New York's great. Now, of course, I do love that. I, I love Nashville. I don't love Nashville, but I I, I get Nashville. And, I, and, and L.A., I get L.A. I like L.A. There's a lot of great things to like about it. The weather and this and that. I get it, right? It's all cool. A lot of friends there. My daughter lives there. LA is awesome. But you know what, man? New York, and I when I say New York, I mean Manhattan has been neglected. It has been. Brooklyn's cool. Love Brooklyn. Queens is awesome. I get it, right? The Bronx, the history of the Bronx, fantastic. Even Staten Island, man. Like horns off to Staten Island. Played a lot of gigs there myself. But Manhattan, when we decided to set up our offices, um, I was actually talking to Case and I said, yeah, I could probably get some office space in in, the, in Brooklyn. He was like, no, 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 man. We're a record company. We're going to be in Manhattan. We, <laughs> yeah, we had good a for him. launch party last week. Where do we have it? We had it at the Blue Ruin Bar in Manhattan. Why? Because it's like the scrap bar, man. It's like a dirty rock club where the jukebox is filled with metal and they play it so loud that you can barely hear yourself think. And that's the energy of New York that I've always loved and uh, I'm going to do my damnedest to try to keep things going here at, from the bottom up, not from the top down. And that means go out, see stuff, be around, be visible, um, have events here, uh, go to shows that are, uh, you know, in, in New York City. And I, and I love Brooklyn, too. But I, when I say New York, I mean the whole thing. Uh, yeah, no, I'm here to keep New York great. That's so good to hear because, you know, there's clearly a, a Los Angeles West Coast impact on music it's it's obvious the like the the gangster rap thing in the 90s and then you know rock bands rage against the machine tool system of a down red hot chili peppers on and on there's a there's clearly an impact however i don't think you would be honest with yourself if you didn't acknowledge the impact of new york city on music i mean rap itself came from new york city all the hardcore music and the fucking punk bands and i mean on the ramones on and on and on there is a lineage there that as a music fan you need to honor where this comes from and it's, it's east coast yeah kiss i mean kiss used to rehearse right around the street from my, yeah. my office the, the thing though I, I will say about new york uh we don't need to go on and on about it but you know it become what's happened to new york in the past 20 years it's a very it's brooklyn aside brooklyn brooklyn well brooklyn even to a certain degree too it's it's very transient right so bands will come here to showcase and to do things and to get some media attention, but are they really springing up out of you know the bowels of Alphabet City, right, or the lower you know Lower East Side or or over in Hell's Kitchen? Like, is that happening? And that has had not really happened as much. Well, I think part of the problem is it's so damn expensive. Yes, it is expensive. You know, it's it's tough, but it's not like Los Angeles is cheap. I mean, Los Angeles is ragingly expensive too. Yeah, no, it's 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 expensive. It's oh, you know what though? It's, it's really always been expensive, and uh, it is it is true that that is it's it's pricey and. But it should be. But it should be. It's a limited amount of space. Yeah. It's, it's one of the most impressive places on earth. Why would that be cheap? I mean, I'm not making an argument that should be more expensive. However, it should be tough. It's competitive to live there. You got to pay your dues. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's it. There is no denying that it, that it is. Um, and your money doesn't travel as much. It's expensive. It's expensive to live here. So you know what you do is you try to 
try to find ways to get around. I mean, I, I, I ride the subway, you know, yeah. I'm not, uh, I'm, t- uh, I'm not there sitting there taking car services all over the place. You know, you gotta, you have to get around and you have to try to do the best that you can. And, and, um, uh, but yeah, no, New York needs, uh, it needs, I think Manhattan in particular, but you know, all the boroughs, it needs a bit of a rebirth. Uh, we need, we need something to break out of here. And that's all that's not, I'm not one of these people who are going to pull up the stakes and, and move somewhere else. I'm definitely here. I'm not leaving. Uh, love New York and our office is here. And uh, you want to, I, I, by the way, I travel everywhere. I'm, I'm, I, I go everywhere all the time. I'm, I have people who know me, know that they see me kind of really kind of yeah. the world. I, I go everywhere all the time. It's really important to see what's happening out there because this is spaceship New York, as my old boss Doug used to say, it is the only place in the world that's like this. And you can't think that this is the real world because it is not. That's right. But that's what that's right. That's right. That's right. Well, I always like to ask, you know, something non-music related. So I appreciate you elaborating on, on your love for New York. Um, Dave, this has been a blast. I, I I appreciate your time. And I would love to have you back on the show in the future. I'm sure our audience would love to hear more about, uh, you know, how Blue Grape is going. And I wish you all the best. Let's let's stay in touch. Thank you very much. I, I appreciate it. I, um, I look forward to talking with you again and telling you, where things are at, I love. I can, as you can tell, I can talk nonstop for, and <laughs> oh, me too, oh me too. That's why I do two podcasts. I, I talk all day for a living, and I do podcasts on the side. Look, let's do some shit together. I rep some music producers, mix engineers. I'm sure it'd be a great match for some of your bands, you know, and vice versa. So let's let's stay in touch. We should, and we and we will. I I, I love your roster, and I'm always looking to work with new people I haven't worked with before. So. That's definite. We will do. We will definitely uh, be doing that. And uh, yeah, let's stay in touch because we, uh, you know, we have to stick together and and make this make this happen. It's not going to happen. Nobody's going to do it for us. That's for sure. Boy, do I agree. I just I just want to work with cool people. That's the secret. That's it. I don't care anymore. I just want to do cool shit with cool people. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, I've I've had my share of dickheads, and uh, oh yeah, I don't, I, I don't care. You know, those days are over for me. I'm not. I'm never. I, I put up with a lot of crap that I'm never going to put up with again. Amazing. Well, hey, friends, my name is Zach Lupiton. You may know me from the band Dust Bowl Revival, but I also host a music discovery podcast called The Show on the Road. For the last five seasons, I've been able to dive deep and have intimate chats with folks like the Lumineers, Andy DeFranco, Wolfpack, Keb Mo, Lake Street Dive, Bela Fleck, and more. So guess what? After 150 conversations with some of my favorite songwriters from around the world, we are bringing brand new episodes to the Osiris Network. New interviews and intimate acoustic performances will be coming at you this summer. And which episodes are coming next, you ask? I am Zach Goody, the lead singer for the band Smash Mouth. Our band is called Milky Chance. We are based in Berlin. My name is David Shaw. I sing and write songs with my band, The Revivalists. Trust me, these conversations go some wild places. So subscribe to the show on the road on Osiris, and we'll see you soon. Again.